You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I would like to begin here today by calling in the spirits to be with us, to hold the space for us, and to help us in this day. So I call out first to our ancestors, to all of those who lived well and died well, those who bring all that is good and true and beautiful from our ancestral lines to each of us here, the living in the world. I call out to these ancestors to be with us and help us in particular today to understand what is our responsibility as the living make their transition into that realm, the realm, the land of the dead. And so I ask the ancestors who tended this transition to be with us powerfully here today, to gather round and to help us to come to understand the teachings that have been with humanity from the beginning of time, that we can know how to do right by those that we love and those we may not even know, so that the realm of the dead and the realm of the living can each be healthy in their own way. And so I call out for these ancestors to be with us here today strongly to hold us, that we might learn to do what we need to do. And with the ancestors gathered round, let's focus within ourselves and from our hearts reach down into our bellies and our bellies reach down through all the layers of the earth to the very belly of the earth. Let us take a moment here and let our own gratitude extend from our heart down that line of energy we have connected to the belly of the earth and let that energy from our heart say thank you and to give our profound gratitude to the earth and the wonder of her dreaming that brought life as we experience it to the face of this planet. We give thanks for the beauty in that. We give thanks for the inspiration and interconnection in that. We give thanks to the earth for all of her great wisdom of manifestation and how to live here in form in a good way. So I call out to the energy of the earth to rise up and to fill ourselves and to fill our bodies here today that we might feel our groundedness and our connection, our sense of belonging and home and hearth, that we might feel through this energy of the earth and through our ability to just open our eyes and look around, the connection and the interconnection of all things. And may the energy of the earth fill us so profoundly here today that we understand that we are one with all things and to know our place in the bigger scheme of things. And with the energy of the earth present within us, let us stand firmly upon the earth, even if only in our imagination, and reach up from our bellies to our hearts and our hearts to our minds, all the way up through all the layers of the sky, all the way out through the atmosphere and into the cosmos, reaching to the highest power of the universe. And by whatever name you know this energy, name it and call it down. I ask you to bring into our circle here today, into yourselves and into your day, the energy of blessing and protection, the energy of generosity and benevolence and all of the wisdom of the cosmos. Let us call these energies in that we will find in this day the mentors and the champions that can help us 
as we do what the living are here to do, find a way to know and live our soul's true purpose. So we call these energies down from the sky into ourselves and into our circle here today. And within your body, allow yourself to feel or imagine or visualize the energy of the sky above coming into oneness with the earth that is already present in your body. And let these two great legendary lovers dance within you to the wholeness of the Tao, that you might feel a place of balance within yourself that can bring you into balance for this day. And from this place, infused with the energy of earth and sky, let us awaken and call out for the spirit of the heart. We call out to the heart to be the crucible, the crucible that the heart uniquely is, that can hold in some mysterious way the fiery passions of the belly and the way that we know through those passions our soul's true purpose. And we call those energies up to the heart and call down the clarity and inspiration and illumination of the mind and let these cool and hot energies dance together to give birth to that third energy, our knowing of our soul's purpose. And may we each find in our hearts the courage to bring that purpose into manifestation in our lives. So with spirits gathered round, we give thanks. May what needs to be said be said and what needs to be heard be heard. And may these proceedings unfold in a way that is good for all living things. So I give thanks for spirits present here today, presence here today. And I also want to thank those of you who have donated financially since the last time we gathered, um, Paul and Deb in in particular, and all others who are helping financially to keep the show live and on the air and free to those of you who would like to access it around the world. And I give thanks to those of you who are doing other things to keep the show alive and well and vital. And I ask you if this show is meaningful to you in any way, if it moves you in the heart, even to frustration, if it moves you in the heart, allow that movement of the heart to move you into action. For this is the essence of shamanism, to allow ourselves to be moved into motion in the world by the power of our heart. And so I ask you if this show does move you, in the heart, to do something in some way to help the show to grow stronger. If you would like to donate to the show and haven't done so before, you can go to whyshamanismnow.com and click the donate button, and you can leave any amount, large or small, and if you are uncomfortable paying online, please email me, and I would be happy to send you a regular old address to send um, a check. So thank you all for that. I would also like to take this moment to honor and give thanks to the students who just this Sunday completed their first year training in the cycle of transformation here at Last Mass Center. I am honored to be with them on their journey. They are inspiring. They are deeply heartfelt people with many, many skills. And the world is a much better place for having them all here. And I want to honor and acknowledge their work over the past year and their completion of the first year of training. And in this, I also hope to see them all in the second year as we begin to explore the shadow self. So without further ado, I would also like to give thanks to our guest today, Leslie Bryan. Leslie, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me, Christina. And today our topic is about healing through the end of life. Um, And for those of you that don't know Leslie, Leslie is trained in both shamanic and energetic traditions. Um, She maintains a private practice and teaching schedule in New York City and New Jersey. She has a broad range of trainings from the Foundation of Shamanic Studies to the International Network of Esoteric Healing to Biodynamic Cranial Sacral Therapy, Sandra Ingerman's teacher training, and the list goes on. 
Uh, Leslie offers shamanic healing as an adjunct to allopathic, palliative, and or hospice care as a way to bring healing in life into the end of life's journey. Hospice um, and a focus on healing through the end of life comprise a pioneering aspect of Leslie's work. And so she's joined us here today um, to focus particularly on this. Um, We've been doing... um, interview shows as uh, sponsored by the Society of Shamanic Practitioners now for a while. I'm not actually sure how long, maybe a couple years. And I was hoping this year to begin to focus on exactly this type of interview, people who are specializing in the field or people who are somehow extending um, our contemporary shamanic work um, with aspects of contemporary life or other other facets in a good way so that we as shamanic practitioners continue to expand our understanding of what is truly necessary to help our contemporary clients. Um, And with all that said, I think I need to take a moment and give thanks to the Society of Shamanic Practitioners for sponsoring today's show. They are at shamansociety.org if you'd like to find them on the internet. And if you'd like to find us You are welcome to call in if you have a question about today's topic. (laughs) The call-in number is 512-772-1938. You can Skype in from the co-creatornetwork.com site or email us at christina at lastmaskcenter.org and I'd be happy to read your question on the air. Um, For those of you who just want to talk to me, calling into the show is not a good way to do that. So if you want to talk to me, go to the website and click contact us, and that's the best way to do that. Okay, so, oh, and I forgot Leslie's contact information. Sorry about that, Leslie. So you can email Leslie at leslie at healing by Leslie Bryan, B-R-Y-A-N dot com. And her website, um, they're interlinked, but one of them, at least the focus of today, is healing through the end of life, all one word. So, Leslie, before we get into today's today's topic, what is it in your everyday, ordinary American upbringing, as you look back, that was really pivotal that moved you to the place that you are today? Not necessarily the the things you meant to do, (laughs) like trainings and things like that, but, but the but the moments on the path where you took a different turn and realize now looking back that you would not be who you are today without that. Um, interesting question because then the answer is going to sound totally off the wall, but I come from a dance background and I would say it was dancing that brought me to where I am today. And um, I was a dancer, I was a choreographer, producer, university professor, you know, the whole nine yards. But the moments spent in the studio creating works of art um, were the first time, and this was long before I was in, I even knew what shamanism was, But they were moments where I went into a space that at that time I could never quite define. I just knew that all of a sudden I knew things. I knew what the right music was. I knew what the movement to express what I needed to express was. It just all came together and I knew it was an energy that was so far beyond my own imagination 
um, that I couldn't really even conceptualize it. And now I, of course, I understand it to be spirit. And um, so much of much of my life was spent in this very creative, spirit-filled world without actually having a framework within which to house it. Um, and when I gave up dancing, I... By that time, I was studying shamanism. And I think a lot of people, and people still ask me, don't I miss dance? And I say, and I find very strangely that I don't. And I don't because I continue to live in that spirit-filled space. And it just moves through me now in a very different way. Yeah, I think I think as dancers, we're lucky that we actually found something to do with the rest of our life that allows us to say, no, I, I don't actually miss dance because there's a whole lot of dancers that don't. Yeah, I mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very, very blessed. And, and you know, for a long time, it felt like so many parts of my life never kind of really fit together. It felt like a patchwork quilt. Well, at all, the only thing it had in common was me. And now I understand that. You know, if you look back at, at at traditional shamanism, so much of it was about singing. It was about dancing. It was about the performance of healing. It was about the kind of about the show. And I sort of feel like my dance training was really my shamanic training yeah. in, in a very different way. Okay, so you went on in life and you got your shamanic training. And then what happened along that path that, that focused you in on uh, the healing through the end of life aspect of shamanism? Not that that's all that you do, but what, what brought that into focus for you? Well, it's really, it's, a, it's kind of my main focus at this point. Um, I, 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 I started a... a a general healing practice um, at a point when all the when all of the freelance work that I was doing, all of the projects crashed and burned, and when a very dear friend of mine offered me a job that I would have given my eye teeth for. And it was a job that I came to New York to do and I, you know, something I really wanted to do. And I listened to myself tell her, no, I wasn't the right person. And I, I all but fell off the chair and went, oh, my God, what have I just done? And when I journeyed and when I got very quiet and when I listened to that deep inner voice and the spirit voice, what I heard was, you're supposed to be doing healing work. And so I went, fine, I can do that. This is something I can do. And so I began a general practice. And um, I found that a lot of people in trauma came to me and various kinds of things. But very, in the first couple of years, I had a patient who had pancreatic cancer. And um, she decided that she did not want to do the traditional chemotherapy and the, the usual. She realized that her, her prognosis was not good, but 
she wanted to deal with it in, a, in an alternative way. And she put together a whole network of people and, and various alternative traditions. And I saw her, she saw, I saw her one day a week. Um, while she was healthy enough, she came to my office and then I started going to her home. And I did a combination of shamanic work and energy work. And we focused on, on, on the positive. We focused on keeping the body strong and on, on all the things she could still do. And um, she had a very, very, very good quality of life right down to the end. And the end came about a week before she died. Um, and I sat vigil with her and her partner for that week and essentially watched her process. And, and she taught me a great deal about what the end is and how people go through it. It was very, it was just physically very clear. And she and I were connected enough that I knew what was going on. And for me, it was a very um, humbling experience. And I felt very honored. It was very, very sacred to walk through this space with somebody um, as as they ended their life and and to be a part of that process um, and when it was all over I realized that I it was very comfortable for me I did not think anything about it I quite the contrary thought well doesn't everybody do this and as I explained to people what I had been spending the last week doing and where, why they hadn't seen me and what all was going on, I realized that, that no, not everybody could do this. And I realized that it was a gift and that it was something that I needed to give back and I needed to be there for other people and I needed to do it more. And so I began volunteering at a hospice in New York City, um, and hospice has home care, and this particular hospice also had a hospital piece. And so I have been working in a hospital for the last 12 years, 11 years, um, on an inpatient unit. And um, along with doing my, my regular private practice. And um, I think the work that I do most, I'm most touched by the place where I light up is working with people at the end of life. And it is because, to, to me, it's a very, very, very sacred time. And people are who they truly are um, at the, that time. It's kind of all the masks are down. All the crap is gone, and they kind of face their maker. And to be allowed into that moment is a very sacred practice. It's a very sacred time. So 
that's how I kind of I got into the beginning of it. And then when recently, when it, like I guess it was last year when the political right removed end of care planning from Obama's health care reform. And when the right started to call hospice death squads, I found that I became outraged, absolutely outraged. And it was an outrage that I went, wait a minute, I can do something about this. I have skills. I can actually change this. And that's kind of when I began focusing on healing through the end of life in a very, very active way, um, realizing that people, we need to talk about end of life. We need to plan for it. Uh, If you don't, doctors are trained to keep people alive at extraordinary measures. Um, And it becomes quite a quite an undignified way to go out. Um, and so I I started um, focusing on this and um, doing more and more with people, both at the end of their lives and helping them deal with friends and family who are dying. Um, I have become a resource for people because I have been around the hospital so much. I know the process. I know the medical process, the kinds of things that need to be contemplated, the papers that need to, the directives that need to be signed. Uh, Have you thought about palliative care? All the kinds of things that when one becomes ill, you, you might not know. So, Leslie, why do you think um, Americans, let's say, are are so unprepared for the dying process in general? I think we are afraid of the unknown. And um, I, I, I think that we are taught not to talk about it. Um, I also think that many people look at it as the end. There is no more. Um, and so they don't want to go there. Anything is better than nothing. Um, I, I think it's a place where Religion and spirit have sort of divided and have left a vacuum. Um, I, I, and so I, it's, it, it becomes this empty space. And I think people don't like change very much, any kind of change. And so when you become ill and when you become ill with a life-threatening illness, there you you step into this vacuum and nobody wants to go there and so let's not talk about it and it maybe it won't happen well let's talk about it <laughs> so what is your experience you know, 
What is your experience through shamanism and working with people who are dying um, that is contrary to the idea that it's the end? What, what, it, what is your sense of what it actually is? My favorite quote, I'm a, I'm a Harry Potter fan, is Albus Dumbledore said before, right, right before he died was, for the organized mind, death is but the next great adventure. And I, that is, has been my experience. Um, I, one of the people I worked with, the husband of a, of a friend, I journeyed, I did, one of the wonders of, of shamanism is I can do this long distance because I can journey and I can find out information without actually being present. Um, and I journeyed to this man who was dying. I journeyed to his spirit, and I actually watched him move on and saw what was coming for him, which was in in life he had been a teacher. And I saw that he was to continue that trajectory on another plane. And interestingly enough, after he died, his wife contacted a medium. And in fact, that's what he was doing. He was in the spirit realm and he was teaching and he was continuing what his life's work had been. So I have actually, I have, I have seen it. Um, And frankly, Christina, I can only say that to people <laughs> who have a sh- have a spiritual bent, because otherwise, you know, um, that's that's a, it's a place that most people don't go to uh, in terms of finding it credible. But that's what I have seen. Well, it's funny that people don't find the the idea that this isn't actually the end more um, welcome news. (laughs) But that sort of leads me to the next um, part that I wanted to talk about here, which is, I mean, I personally think that part of the reason is if, if you come to terms truly with the idea that this isn't the end, then there's the kind of big oh shit moment (laughs) because you've lived in a way with the assumption that this will be the end and it will all be cleaned up for me after I go instead of realizing it's it's not the end and everything you're doing here matters so so what have you learned about living from well I was gonna say to me dying is really truly about being alive not about being dead um And what I have learned and what I have seen is that people die pretty much the way they live. And so it's, I go to this place of, okay, I want to make sure I deal with it all right while I'm alive. I want to make sure that every moment counts, that I have no regrets, so that... Um, One of the things that I think sometimes keeps people alive in the dying process, people who have a hard time actually letting go and dying, 
what I what I have seen is they're they're doing what I call homework. They're finishing pieces of of business, and I have I don't ever know what that those unfinished pieces are, um, but but I can see them doing it just energetically. And so, one of the things that in dealing with family or friends is one of the things I hope they learn is that do all those things before you get to the end so that when the end comes, the transition is easy. You're not trying to finish things. Um, I have also seen, for me, dealing with the dying, it puts life in very in a very clear perspective. It makes priorities clear. Um, it's the, the sort of the catchphrase, life is too short to worry about non-essential things. It's true. It's true. When I walk on a hospice unit and see somebody there who's younger than I am, the reality of mortality becomes very clear of, okay, so um, what is it you want out of life? Uh, Where do you want to be? What do you want to experience? Do you want to be the joy? Do you want to be the heartbreak? Do you want to be the anger? Um, As you reflect that in your life, that's what also comes through. Um, as you leave this life. So it's, um, and the, the people that I have worked with dying have, I've actually seen them teach their family. So people who are dying still have, are, are, are immense teachers. Um, if I can tell a story, can I tell a sure, story? Sure, Absolutely. Um, and this is one of my favorites in terms of learning. I, wa- I was asked, I was on the, in the hospital one day and I was asked by a nurse to go in and be with uh, a patient and her family. And the patient had just come to terms with, she just admitted to herself that she was dying. And she had gone once she admitted this, she had become semi-comatose. She was aware, but not verbal. And she had three daughters. And the daughters were, like, all over her trying to make her comfortable and trying to do this and trying to do that. And they said to me, we're, we're so frustrated because she keeps pushing us away. She doesn't want us to do anything. And she, we just don't know what to do. And, and I said to them, well, tell me about your mother. And it turned out that the, their mother was a political activist who had taught them their entire lives, taught them about causes and life. And, and, I, and I looked at the three girls and I said, well, your mother's always been a teacher and she still is. And what she's doing is she's teaching you how to be instead of how to do. 
And I looked over at the mother and she just winked at me. And I said, so it's about being with her. Just enjoy her. You don't have to do anything. And the, the, the mother just shook her head and smiled at me. And a couple of days later, I saw one of the daughters who said that after our, I said this and after I left the room, the energy in the room totally shifted. The girls were much calmer. The mother was very much at peace. And they just truly enjoyed the last few days they had with their mother. And she died very, she, she died very peacefully. So it's the, if one is present with someone who is ill or dying, there is much to learn about where they are, about how to go through illness, how to, how to, how to be in life. Um, and I think that's, I think people are also af- afraid of, of, of dying because they, they're afraid of, they don't know what to do with it. Um, and they're afraid of, to be around people who are dying because they don't know what to do. And um, I, I think it's very, it's very simple and sometimes that's the difficulty. And so what I say to people is just be there. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to say anything. You just listen. And you listen from the heart. You be in the heart. No judgment. No personal agenda. And you just be with them. Is there anything that you can offer to people who are with, let's say, a dying family member when there are um, unresolved family issues and there are judgments, for lack of a better word? And, and how, how, how can people um, be with the dying um, in a way that isn't um, inauthentic, in a sense? I mean, they can't just um, shut all that down and, and just be... Uh, um, so are there, are there things you do with people to help them find a way to truly be at peace with the situation? Um, I use, I, again, I go back to the you don't need to do anything. You know, kind of just be here. Um, understand that Hearing is the very last sense to go, even if somebody is in a coma. Uh, they can still hear. They still energetically know you're there. And that's a huge piece um, just to be with somebody. Um, so talking to somebody who who may not necessarily be verbal the the fond memories um we always hear 
that your life flashes in front of your eyes before you die. And in some ways, the dying process really is about what what is called the life review, the, the going through the memories. Um, and that tends to weave one's life into a whole if if it's it's the healing piece um so that their being their spirit is whole um to the family member um very often what happens is i become the interface family members very often find it very find it difficult to get out of their own way and I totally get that because they're in a place, they're in a very vested place of they don't want this person to die. They don't, they don't want them to go. And um, it's that understanding. Sometimes it's the understanding, trying to understand from the perspective of the person who is dying. Another story, um, I was in the hospital and there was a, a, a woman who was at the end. She was still verbal and she, she was unable to really express why she couldn't let go. I mean, she couldn't, she couldn't even get to that, but there seemed to be something was holding her here and the family was very distraught. And when I am with somebody, I connect to them on both an energetic and spiritual level. And so understand kind of where they are and what's going on. And all of it, I I understood that she was stuck. She was being held here. So I said to her, what do you, what do you need to happen to let go? And she looked at her husband and she said, I need him to let go. And I looked at him and I said, so what do you need to let her go? And he said, I need her to let go. And so I looked at the two of them and said, you hear each other. And can you mutually take a moment and just each let go? And apparently they could because she died very peacefully, I think, the next day. And the husband was fine. He, um... So it's the trying to step as much as you can out of that place of having your own personal agenda so that you can fully appreciate the person who is ill or the person who is dying. And I see it from a shamanic perspective. I see it as truly embracing somebody's divinity, that, that higher self, that part of the person because when I look at people, I see them as perfect, even when they're dying. 
there is that part of them that I know will move on and is perfect. And so by recognizing and acknowledging that part of a person, I think it's, it becomes easier to let the body go. So can you share some examples of um, how you're, you're using your shamanic training in this so that others that have shamanic training could, could connect? Sure. Um, I do a lot of transfiguration when I work with people. Um, So why don't you describe that for people that might not know that? uh, So transfiguration is essentially the becoming one's own true self, divine light, higher self. Um, It's a, it's a, it's a piece out of medicine for the earth. I mean, I'm sure lots of other, it's an older tradition than that. But where I first learned of it was through Sandy Ingerman and medicine for the earth. And it's, um, so when I work with somebody who's gravely ill or dying, the first thing that I do when I'm in a room with them is I embody my own divine light and then I connect to that person the patient at that level so that my connection to them is not through the it's not through illness but it's through divinity um and through that connection, um, I also go to my helping spirits. I have a whole bunch of helping spirits who, who help me do this work. I basically ask my helping spirits what I need to know about this person um, or, or what this person really needs at this particular point in time. And then I sit with that. I don't necessarily try to actively do anything except be what they need. Um, and with somebody who's dying, often what I find is, is that people are confused or frightened. And we'll start with the frightened. So if somebody is frightened, I transfigure and I become peace. And I become security. And I fill the room with that energy and with that light so that it fills their being and everybody who's in that room and who comes into that room with the the peace and the security so that the person isn't so frightened. Um, And people who are confused... um, I have the helping spirits kind of light up the door um, or the light at the end of the tunnel, whatever the image is, where people are going. I've always seen it as a door, and I've seen people see it as a door. Um, And then I, again, using, connecting my 
divine light to their divine light, creating light for them to see where they're supposed to go um, becomes very calming and very comforting. And I have had, I actually did a, a visualization with somebody who was near the end, but still verbal. And she found the pathway and it, she knew it was headed toward the door and she came back and she said, I'm not ready to go yet. And I said, okay, but now you know where to go. And she was very calm and she said, yes, and I, I can do it when I, when it's time. Um, so it's those, that kind of, there's, Being in a place of spirit as opposed to being in a place of, of ego or a place of personal agenda um, is what I try to help people with. And in their own language, um, very often I do not talk about um, shamanism per se, because at the end of life, everybody has their own traditions. And so I try to couch it in their own ways. Um, be it if I see a Bible there, I encourage people to use prayers. I encourage people to use hymns um, to work within the framework of what spiritually they're used to. So, Leslie, are there particular practices that um, you do yourself in preparation for working with people who are dying and then at the end of the day? Um, Yeah. And a a lot of practices I do all the time. Anyway, I mean, I live in New York City, so it's a pretty energetic. um, One of the things I do when I work at the hospital when I come into the hospital I come up an elevator that comes out in labor and delivery labor and delivery and the hospice unit are next door to each other so the very first thing I do is I honor that cycle of birth and death Um, and the doorway that's into hospice, I think they've changed it, is a very heavy, heavy door. So I stand in front of it and I call in the helping spirits that work very, very specifically with me, with the dying. So I call them in before I ever walk onto the floor And then as I'm on the floor, I just stay in that space of um, sort of the angelic realms. And 
angels are really the the only time I work with angels is is doing hospice work. Um, so that's what I do uh, specifically going on to the hospice unit. Every day, though, I connect with my helping spirits and ask to be infused with the love and protection of the spirit realm because I, I, I deal with so many people and so much energy. And then at the end of every day, I use water as the great both cleanser and trans um, vehicle of transmutation, um, um, shower, wash, whatever, and just very, with great thoughtfulness, I wash off everything that does not serve. Um, and certainly while I'm, I'm on the unit, I wash my hands and I make, just make sure that there's nothing stuck um, to me. And, and I do that quite thoughtfully. And I think there's much of my life that is spent in that thoughtful place of making sure that um, I'm not taking on other people's stuff. Um, I think doing hospice work does require a lot of self-care. Um, there are hospice patients that I have grieved deeply for. Um, I actually helped, I worked with my best friend through two years of treatment and her, her final death. Um, and that was a whole grief process. And so I allow myself to do that. Um, I have found bereavement resources um, because there is secondhand grief and uh, hospice workers deal with that. And, um, but mostly I feel very blessed by the people I've worked with. I feel, um, I, I fondly say I have a rogues gallery of people I think of often who are part of my life because I've been a part of their death and who I love very deeply for what they have given me. Um, Leslie, do you feel that um, what you do is pretty much in parallel with hospice in general or is there something um more more i guess that you would bring because of your experience with um shamanic training a friend of mine called what i do hospice on steroids <laughs> and i think that's true i think um i have a what i do that hospice can't for all kinds of financial constraints and time constraints is I can spend time. I, with people who are under, in like chemotherapy, I, I go to chemotherapy with somebody, with a patient, um, and I sit with them during, tr during their chemotherapy treatment and do healing work on them or with them. Um, I, 
I talk, I talk to people, um, patients who are, who are, who I'm working all the way through with, I, I connect with them every day, be it in person or on the phone. And so what ends up by happening is I'm just, I'm a, I'm a daily presence, which, um, hospice as wonderful as it is they don't have the manpower to do that um i'm very focused i don't do a a great i don't do many hospice patients at once and so i am very very focused on the individual and on the family um, and that also sets me apart from a, a, just an ordinary hospice person. So it's I really become a companion piece to hospice um, or to pa- um, palliative care because of the healing piece, the healing on on many levels piece. I don't just do the body. And hospice is really focused much more on the body comfort and the um, that piece. And what I do touches people on higher levels, higher energy, spiritual, in those realms. Um, certainly, the kinds of help I call on is very is is very different than hospice in terms of being spirit filled um, and spirit driven. So Leslie, we're coming up to the end of our show here. And I was wondering if you would take our last four or five minutes here to talk about, um, you know, what, what do you feel that you do that really makes a difference in a person's relationship with their own dying? I think that what I do makes people comfortable with their own dying. And I have another story Mm -hmm. on this one. Um, There was a woman with lung cancer. And um, I was doing a guided visualization with her about finding the pathway to the door at the end. And um, when she was all done, I said, could you describe it to me? And she described the pathway and there was this babbling brook and how beautiful it was and how calming the babbling brook was. And it was very peaceful. And after she finished, we both started laughing. She was on a, she had an oxygen pump that had water going through it. And so her babbling brook was literally in her room with her as her oxygen pump. And once she got that, it, it, the, it brought the two places together and she was no longer frightened. And she could laugh and she could... She could listen to the pump 
and know that she was on the on the path and that she was safe. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, um, I think that's what it does for people. Is it 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 shows them how to do it. It shows them where to go. It it light it it puts light in a very dark place, and it shows them that it is light filled. One of the things that you um, talked about um, on your website in your writing was that there is a way that this work gives a person back some of their power. Could you talk about that just a little bit here? Sure. Um, one of the things when you get into a hospital is everything, you're, you're pretty much stripped of everything. Um, everything is done for you you and as you become ill and your body begins to break down you have no control over anything and so one of the things by with doing the work that I do it people have things I leave them with things to do um the visualizations the images of the doorway images of light the images of angels um it, and, and so they, again, feel like they have some kind of control over going or not going of, and, and, and walking down that final road. Um, and they are able to do this, and this is, and this is their power. So they, they are back in control. So, Leslie, thank you so much for your work. I wanted to let people know that Leslie has written a chapter um, for the book that the Society of Shamanic Practitioners is publishing. The book is called Spirited Medicine. It's about shamanism and contemporary medicine. Leslie's chapter is entitled Shamanic Presence in Hospice Care. So those of you that are um, interested can read more in um, the SSP book, but you can also contact Leslie um, at Leslie at Healing by Leslie Bryan, B-R-Y-A-N dot com. Um, or just find her website, healingthroughtheendoflife.com. So, Leslie, thank you so much for joining us here today and sharing your work with people at the end of life and, and really taking seriously one of the things that's talked about a lot in shamanic circles, but to heal, to heal into death. Thank you. Thank yeah. you for giving me the opportunity yeah, thank you so much. So um, I also would like to thank people for listening here today. I want to thank the helping spirits for gathering around us, the ancestors. I want to give thanks to that most ancient and ever so essential ancestor, the earth. And give thanks for the sky above and give thanks for the heart that unites us all. Um, next week, we will explore how to take the leap from basic journeying into more dynamic practice in which your spiritual input becomes part of your everyday problem solving. Literally thousands of people from around the world have been taught to use shamanic journeying uh, to contact their spirit guides since the 1960s. And yet even with the ease and direct access and humor inherent in the journeying technique, few people actually use their journeying. So next week we're going to talk about how you take a leap from 
knowing about it to using it. Um, so thank you, everyone. Uh, the summer classes are beginning to fill up. And if you're interested in what's going on, go to lastmaskcenter.org. And um, otherwise, everyone, have a good week. <laughs> <laughs>